0: Um, like I said, today is the first uh, Sunday in the season of Advent. It's also the first of a new sermon series. We finished Ephesians last week. We are looking during Advent, these next four weeks, we're going to look at four passages in Isaiah that are typically called the Servant Songs of Isaiah. And here's a little bit of background on them. They are written to a group of people, God's people, who were in exile in Babylon, announcing the coming, the arrival of the Messiah. The king and the savior who would come. And the way that Isaiah describes him is he calls him the servant of the Lord. In fact, there is kind of a question that looms over the whole Bible. And it's this. Who is going to do the Lord's will? Who is going to be the one who will fulfill the Lord's purposes for the world? As you open up the Bible, you see that what God desires is to fill the world with his glory. And Adam and Eve were given that job to go out and be fruitful and multiply as those made in his image to fill the world with that image of God. But they failed in that mission. Later on in Genesis, you see this man Abraham, whose family and the nation that came from that family would inherit the same calling to fill the world with the glory of God, to reflect the image of God in all the world. That was their job. They also failed. They ended up actually in a foreign land in Babylon in slavery to somebody else. But God announces here that He is not scrapping His plans, He is not giving up on His people, He is not giving up on His mission, that He Himself actually will fulfill it. That this figure that we see in Isaiah, the servant of the Lord, will be one who will come and take up what Adam and what Israel were supposed to do. Would be the true Adam, the true Israel, the true humanity, and would actually do it for us. So, with that in mind, will you open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42? We're looking at verses 1 through 9, and I'm, I am apologize, um, a cold and two football games have given me this voice, so I'm sorry you've got to deal with this this morning. I'm going to sound a little bit like an NPR radio announcer. So. Alright, listen as I read to you from God's Word, Isaiah chapter 42. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights, I have put my spirit upon him. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word as we come and we see this glimpse of the Messiah, of Jesus. We ask that You would broaden our understanding of who He is and of what our need is for Him. That, Lord, by coming in contact with Your Word, we would be changed. That we would see Jesus more clearly today. That we would come to love Him even more deeply and desire to follow Him more fully. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in Your sight. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, Isaiah starts with this word, behold, behold, my servant. That's not a word we use very often, is it? Well, you don't find a math teacher saying, behold, your quiz, you know, or you don't walk down the street and say, behold, a stray dog, from, from whence hath this dog cometh. That's not the way that we speak. But we kind of know what it means. Behold really just means, hey, look, this is important. Take a look here because it's something that you want to pay attention to. And even though we don't use that word a lot, uh, we are asked to behold a lot of things. I feel like I am continually asked to behold catalogs because they just come in my mail like by the dozens every day. And we are asked to behold, you know, lots of advertising, Black Friday sales, after Black Friday sales. Tuesday after Black Friday sales, whatever it is, right? We're given all of this stuff that we're supposed to look at. And we often even go looking for things, trying to find things. When we're thinking about the Christmas season, about Advent and Christmas, a lot of us look for particular things that that we cling to and desire, like a break, Rest from a long semester at school or at work. Finally, the end of something, or maybe even just a few days off, to sit and to rest. Maybe you're looking for some wrapped presents under the tree. You want to behold some gifts that you get to unwrap. We even, I think, oftentimes go and look for kind of the perfect Christmas picture, the perfect picture of Christmas that we're either going to snap, you know, just with our mind or that we literally want to take a picture of and post online and say, look at this wonderful encapsulation of, of the season of Christmas. I had such a, uh, a time the other day, I was coming home, I think it was from the store. And I was coming back in my neighborhood, and I pulled around the corner, and it was just dusk. It was just kind of starting to get dark. And I pulled around the corner, and I saw my house, and this big oak tree in my front yard was just bright orange. It was it was one of the three days of fall. and uh, And it was this beautiful foliage on this oak tree. And uh, there was a fire in our fireplace, and so I could see like the the smoke kind of swirling out of the chimney, you know. There, and that I just put lights up on the house, and so the lights were twinkling, and the tree was beautiful, and the smoke was coming up, and I just thought, "Oh, you know, that's so sweet." I mean, it was like a it was like a trailer for a Hallmark Christmas special movie. It was really what it felt like, like the front of a postcard. You know, the truth is, when we open up God's Word, particularly here in Isaiah, what we're told is that even though all of those things are really nice, even though there's a lot of nice things like gift-giving, gift-giving is really nice, and rest is really nice, and even just kind of nice trees changing colors is really nice, and that is true. They are nice, but they are not enough. And what Isaiah wants us to know this morning Is he wants us, he wants us to expand our picture of Jesus. Expand our picture of Christmas. He wants to give us a bigger picture of Jesus this Christmas. So that we can move from the things that are nice but not enough and actually begin to cling to the thing that is true and real and bigger than we ever could have dreamed. He kind of starts this picture by outlining it for us. And the outline that he gives us is with this word, justice. I want you to listen to the way that he starts. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. And then verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. And then he continues in verse 4. He won't go faint or discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. Three times Isaiah tells us that the role of the servant, the Messiah, the one that we know to be Jesus, is to actually bring justice to the world. Now we don't often times think of that as being what Jesus is supposed to do. In fact, oftentimes we've got a very small view of what justice means. We've put it kind of in the courtroom, and we've kept it there, and that's the place that it's going to stay. But really, in the Bible, the Hebrew word for justice has a much broader connotation than just what happens in the courtroom. This word, mishpat, is what it is in Hebrew, and it means God's right order. The way that things are supposed to be ordered, the way that things are supposed to work, that's justice. People actually living as the image of God And having it restored to them People actually being uh, empowered Sharing God's creative abilities That's justice And it's closely related to another word That we see in verse 6 Righteousness Righteousness is kind of um, just action The way that people are supposed to act And it's also really related to this big word In the Old Testament that, That doesn't show up in this passage But shows up a lot of other places The word shalom It's a word that we usually translate as peace. But again, it means something much bigger than that. Shalom, you can think of as the way that things are supposed to be. The way that God has created the world to be, that's shalom. And so what Isaiah is saying is that the Messiah, the servant, has come to bring justice, God's right order, and righteousness, uh, right action within that order, so that there might be shalom, peace, the way that things are supposed to be. That's a bigger picture, isn't it, than the one that we typically think of in Christmas. The problem for us is we have a small picture kind of of the solution. We usually have a pretty decent understanding of the problem. We just oftentimes try to throw other things at it. the things that are going to make me happy, are a little bit more consumerism, a little bit more time with family, whatever it is. And we have these small pictures of what we need that we're trying to fill a big hole. Uh, if, you, if you talk to people that know about natural disasters, they will tell you this, is that in general, people are pretty generous. They get a lot of stuff donated. But also in general, they don't really know what to donate. And so when you talk to people who, who spend a lot of time with natural disasters, they'll tell you, uh, we find stuff all the time that nobody needs. Things uh, like prom gowns. These are real things that that have been donated, like, to the Red Cross. Wigs. Um, Tiger costumes. Pumpkins. Used tea bags. Because you might be able to get another cup of tea out of that, I guess. I read one time where there was a you know an entire there were boxes um, on the on the runway shipped out ready to go boxes of winter coats that were supposed to go to Honduras in the summer. And oftentimes I think we're kind of like that. We see the problem, we just try to fix it with small stuff. See, the the truth is that picture that I painted of kind of kinda coming around the corner and seeing my house um, it's really beautiful. And in a lot of ways, it, it, it kind of works when you are driving your climate-controlled SUV and you are pulling into the garage of the home that you own. Inside is your family, who is relatively well-adjusted and intact. It kind of works then. But it does not work if you are a 12-year-old girl sold into forced prostitution in Calcutta. It does not work if your husband of 20 years just came and said, I want a divorce. It does not work if you are about to get foreclosed on. It doesn't work at all if you can't have enough money even to buy rice to feed your family inadequately. Those little hallmark Channel blurbs and those little postcard pictures and little Instagram posts that we think kind of encapsulate all that it means to be celebrating the Christmas season. They just don't work when things really break down. They're nice, but they are not enough. And what Isaiah tells us here is that Jesus has come to take care not just of kind of the little cliche things for us, but to deal with the deepest things. That if you are hurting, That Jesus has come and said, I have heard your cries. I have seen your affliction. And guess what? I'm going to do something about it. That's a much bigger picture of Christmas. A much bigger picture of Jesus than we oftentimes have. Okay, if that's the outline, if justice is the outline of this picture, let's talk about then kind of how it's framed. The second part of this picture, the frame we might say, is mission. Listen again to how uh, Isaiah describes the function of this servant. I will give you as a covenant for the people. A light for the nations. Even beforehand, earlier he says, I'm going to bring forth justice to the nations. This idea of the nations is a little different actually than we probably think, because we think of nations, we think just of, of worlds and you know all these governments, you know, and in countries around the world. But in, in a Hebrew conception, the word nations, the same Hebrew word is oftentimes translated Gentiles. It just means anybody who's not a Jew. The Jews were God's people, the rest of the world was Gentiles, those who were really outside of those covenant promises. And the beautiful thing that we read here in Isaiah is that this justice, this making things right, is supposed to come not just to God's people. It's not just for Christians, it's actually for the world. Is that God is coming and saying, the Messiah, my servant, has come to be a promise for the world. My desire is that everybody know that the light would actually shine on them so that they would no longer be in darkness. Because that's what the Bible says, is that those who have made God in their own image, those who have decided to pursue their own way of doing things, or even those who have said, I'm going to rely on my own ability, that they are actually in darkness. That's how the Bible describes those who don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they are living in darkness. And that Jesus has actually come to shine His light to not only expose, but to enlighten, so that people might see the beauty of who He is. See, this is what the Bible says about human beings. Is that we were made, we were created to worship God alone. We were created to find our ultimate worth and value in Him. We were created to have Him at the center of all we do, and that's supposed, God is the one who's supposed to feed our identity. But what happens? Well, a lot of times we go searching for other things to find our identity in, don't we? Whether it's wealth or success or acceptance or some sort of status, or maybe it's even a particular moral ability. My ability to do all these things or gain all these things is what now gives me my value. And the truth is, what the Bible says is that when you do that, you are actually entering into slavery, Those things actually enslave. The created things that we've made to be, uh, worshipped in our lives enslave us. They enslave us with guilt. Because if we haven't done all that we think that we should, then we wear that, we bear this huge amount of guilt all the time. Or they enslave us with anger. If you take away what I'm worshipping, I'm gonna be pretty angry at you. They enslave us with fear. Because, I mean, what's going to happen if maybe I lose my job, or I lose this great house, or I lose all of these relationships, or I don't have this particular place in society? Then I'm riddled with fear. It even leads to apathy. Because if we take on this huge amount of guilt and pressure, at some point we're going to say, you know what, I figured out that I can't do it. And so, forget about it all. And it leads to apathy. But what the Gospel says the Bible says is that God has actually done what we can't do. That he has actually done through Christ, achieved through Christ, what we cannot achieve on our own. And to become a Christian is to say, I'm turning away from those created things that I've made idols in my life, and I'm turning to Jesus to have him at the center of my life. That his forgiveness, that his love, that his grace is what feeds me, what Uh, gives me my worth, what gives me my identity. If you're new to Christianity or you haven't heard these things, I I have just described what Christians call the gospel. I've just actually described what it means actually to become a Christian. If you have more questions about that, I would love to talk with you. That is true, though, for Christians as well. It's that we are those who desire the light of Christ to be shown to us. It's also true that we are those who desire the light of Christ to come to our neighbors. Our friends, our family members, the people who live down the street from us, so that those who are in darkness, who are wandering around, they, they may not know it, and, I, and, I, and I'm not trying to be mean, simply proclaiming the truth, that those who are in darkness need the light of Christ, and they are going to hear it from our lips. That is what Isaiah says the Messiah has come to do, to shine His light into darkness. All right, let's look at kind of the last little picture here. Uh, we look at justice kind of as the way that um, the outline of this picture and, and God's mission to proclaim light to the nations as the frame. Well, let's color it in a little bit. Our color and shade as we kind of see the character of this servant. And his character is something that's so fascinating. I want you to listen here again to verses 2 and 3. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. But listen to this. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. See, the character of the servant is both gentle and it is everlastingly steadfast. What we get described here is someone who is so gentle that that a wick that's about to burn out, he won't blow out. Who's so gentle that a reed that is already bruised and about to fall over won't even be moved because of his gentleness. Yet at the same time, he is so doggedly determined to do what God has called him to do that he will never stop. That he will faithfully bring forth this justice. That he will do what needs to be done those two things together are things that we don't often see in our world. The original readers of this didn't see them either. The original audience here would have been in exile in Babylon. They would have not had a home of their own. They would have been living in a foreign country. They would have been living under somebody else's rule. God's right order certainly was not in place. It was not the way that things were supposed to be. But what they saw all the time in their life, they saw conquering. They saw people actually coming and conquering foreign regimes and even setting prisoners free sometime. But this is the way they saw it. Great force, flash in the pan. There would be great, violent force that would come and would overthrow and overcome. And that would last for maybe the short life of that ruler, but probably not. A lot of force. And not a lot of follow through. What we see in Jesus is just the opposite: incredible gentleness met with incredible follow through, intense gentleness and everlasting faithfulness and follow through. How have you ever been to, um, you know, a museum, an art museum, and and really stood before a truly great piece of art? Now you can see, you know. You can see decent art in a lot of places. And usually our response to that is, that's nice, isn't it? It's pretty. But then we kind of move on. It's nice, but it's not enough. When you stand before a piece of great art, it is meant to do more than just make you think that it's pretty. It's meant to do more than just make you think it's nice. It's actually meant to change you. To to change your understanding, the, the way that you look at the world. To change the way that you understand things to be. It's meant to deeply affect us, to shape us. That is the big picture that we've given here uh, of Jesus, of the Messiah, of Christmas. A picture that is meant to shape us into different kinds of people. So let me leave you with a challenge. This Advent, as we prepare for Christmas, not only expand your picture of who Jesus is and what he's come to do, but let it shape you into someone different. Into one who actually desires to see justice take place in the world. To see the image of God restored in those uh, from whom it's been taken away. If Jesus loves justice so much that this is what he proclaims as being one of his ultimate goals, we as his people should love it too. Also, to be concerned with his mission. With a light to our neighbors and to our city. With desiring to see the world come to know this good Savior. And then let it shape you to be one who is both gentle and steadfast. Who is gentle, gently steadfast in the way that we follow the Lord. In the way that we love the people around us. In the way that we proclaim the good news to those people. For that's that's the picture that we get of who Jesus is. It's the picture that we get of what Christmas is all about. It's much better than the nice but not enough things that we oftentimes give. It's the picture we need and it's the picture that the world needs. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for revealing this to us. That we get to open your word and, um, and see your promises. That we get to feel good about those promises because we know uh, that you don't lie. We know that you won't... Um, Go back on them. Lord, the promise we've been given is of a Jesus who is much bigger than we typically allow him to be. A picture of Christmas that is much deeper and broader than the one that we typically draw for ourselves. Lord, uh, as C.S. Lewis said, (laughs) we are far too easily pleased. We are often satisfied with small things. Things that are nice, but they really aren't enough. We show us what it means to not only embrace, but be changed by the picture that we see of the Messiah. Will you do that for us today and this Advent season and always. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.